and I am uh, really looking forward to today. We're going to wrap up our series, Every Good Endeavor, and it's about God and work and integrating, integrating our faith into our job, and so we're going we're gonna to wrap that up today. And when you came in, you should have gotten one of these. Did everybody, let me see if you got this. Show it, wave it at me. Woo! It's kind of warm in here. At least it's warm up here, so you can use it as a fan. Okay, on the back, it says that uh, we are starting this October 6th. Well, guess what? That's today. It's actually next week, and you can blame your pastor for that. That's my fault. Um, but Tori, Tori does an amazing job putting these together, and so I don't even know if she's in here, but can we give her a round of applause if she's in here? And... Here's what I have found, that as Christians, and most people, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, most people want to be more generous, but there's so many things that kind of stand in the way as roadblocks to our generosity. And so what we're going to do over the next several weeks in this series is we're going to look at some of those roadblocks and some of those things that prevent us from being more generous, uh, things like fear and debt and bills and everything else that prevent us from being Uh, more generous. And you may not know, but we have a building campaign going on called Imagine, where we're looking to build a community center for LaPel. And we want to put another field for the Optimist Club on there and basketball courts uh, and some other things. And so what we're going to do at the end of this series is we're going to take up like a final big give, big push for, for that. And one last final offering for that, for our community and for the people of LaPel and the surrounding areas that we can have someplace else also to go for community, looking at computer labs. I mean, one of the things that I've always dreamed of is having a job fair and companies come in and people help with resumes and so on. And so I'm believing that's going to be a part of that as well. We're really excited. We wrap up our Imagine campaign. We are on pace to hit our goal. And so if you're not familiar with the Imagine campaign or you want to be a part of that, and you want to give, even if it's $5 a month or $500 a month or whatever amount you feel God's leading you to give, uh, you can find out more at the Connect table on that. Also, I want to say if you're a first-time guest and this is your first time here, I want you to go to the Connect table and connect. That's why it's called the Connect table. And we actually want to give you gas money. We have gas cards to say thank you for spending your gas and coming here. So we want to reimburse you for your trip to come here this morning. And I want you to go get a gas card, and we just want to say thank you for coming. So as we wrap this series up today, we're going to talk about how do I integrate my faith and my work, and my job and my work? How do they come together? How do, what, what does that look like? And what I have learned is that we tend to separate things out, right? I try to keep my dog out of the cat litter because they need to be separated. I don't have a cat, but if I had a cat... I've heard that dogs tend to like that stuff, right? How many of you can, is that true? Let me see your hand. Is that true? Yeah, it is true. Okay. So you don't want your dog in the cat litter. I also, out in the shed, I've got like regular gasoline, and then I've got gasoline with oil. One's for the trimmer, the weed whacker, and one's for the riding lawnmower. And those two gasolines have to stay separated, right? And so I've got one that says oil mix on it so that I don't mistakenly put one in the other, and then it... Right, Because we talked about engines last week and how engines work and compared them to our lives. and So I have to keep those things separate. I have to keep them separate. And we tend to do the same thing with our faith in our jobs. We tend to keep them separate. 
We tend to separate them out. And what you're going to see this morning is that integrating our faith and what we believe and on our jobs will strengthen you as perhaps as a supervisor or as a manager, strengthen you as an employee. And so we're going to talk about that today. And one of the things that we're going to look at is the book of Nehemiah. Oz Guinness, in his classical book, The Call, he says this, The problem with Western Christians is not that they aren't where they should be, but that they aren't what they should be where they are. I'll let you think about, think about that for a minute. The problem with Western Christians is not that they aren't where they should be, but they aren't what they should be where they are. In other words, it's not, it's not that you're not where you're supposed to be. You're where you're supposed to be on your job. But suddenly, when Monday morning rolls around, we kept Jesus on Sunday, and then we found a different part of ourselves on Monday morning and on the job, and we're a different person. And that's what Oz Guinness says. He goes, he goes, we separate these two. And yet the Bible never says for us to separate that. One of the things that I have found is that you can really never separate the belief of a person and the person. Or else they really truly don't believe what they say they believe. You can't separate out what you believe and, and who you are. It's, it's a part of your DNA. It's a part of who you are. It's part of your makeup. And we find this in Scripture. Actually, in Scripture, there's a book called Ezra. And it tells of a story. Uh, Ezra is a priest, and he goes back to Jerusalem because Jerusalem has been leveled. The whole city has just been absolutely leveled to the ground. The Persians have taken over, and they've destroyed everything in the city. And God speaks to Ezra, and he says, Ezra, I need you to go back to Jerusalem, and I need you to rebuild the temple. I need you to rebuild my house. And so in 458, 458 BC, Ezra goes back to Jerusalem, and he begins to work on the temple. And then just a few years later, God speaks to Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is a big shot in the government in Persia. In fact, he is the king's cupbearer. Now, if you don't know what that is, that's the person that taste tests the food before the king eats it to make sure nobody's trying to poison the king. So, how would you like to have that job? Oh, I got to taste the food and make sure it's not poisoned because I don't want anybody to kill the king. That's my job is to keep the king from being poisoned. Well, that was, that was his job. And he heard that Jerusalem was leveled. And so God speaks to Nehemiah in 445 BC, so just a little over a decade later, and he says, Nehemiah, I need you to go back to Jerusalem, and I need you to rebuild the walls around the city so the city can be protected. And so you have Ezra rebuilding the temple in the middle of the city, and then you have Nehemiah rebuilding the walls for protection. And it tells me this. It tells me that God building gets built first and natural defense is second. We build up the inside of who we are first and that begins to work its way out. But if I don't have any identity and I don't know who I am, then I, then I blow up at other people and I wrestle with tough questions of life like why am I here and what's the purpose, etc. Because I've not built myself up internally to understand. 
the greatest question that every human asks is, why am I here? I know it's not because mom and dad decided to hook up one night. There's got to be more to it than that, right? Why am I here? That's something that every person, every human asks. And so we begin to build ourselves up. We begin to work on the, on the inside, and then we begin to work on the outside. And that's what happens here. And so there are two things. There are the wall, and then there's the temple. The wall represents the defense of the economy, safety for the culture, and safety for the people, and safety for the religious structure. And so the wall represents kind of the outside of us and who, and who we are and what people see. The temple then provides what? Well, the temple provides, as Scripture says, the temple provided God's protection for the Jewish people. It provided, one of the things in Jewish culture is that the temple was not only the religious center, but it was also the governmental center. And so it provided laws and government for the nation of Israel. It provided prosperity as far as how the, the, the national economy should run. It, the temple was kind of the hub for the Jewish people. It was a source of religion, a source of government. It was a source pretty much of everything. And then they built the walls around to protect. And so you have both. And what happens is that Ezra shows up first to begin to build the inside, and then Nehemiah begins to build up the outside. And so you have the religious building while you have the non-religious building and working. And so you have both working at the same time. And this is what God calls us to. God calls us to have both working at the same time. Both the wall, secular labor, or non-religious labor, and the temple, the spiritual worship, are mutually dependent upon one another. They're mutually dependent upon one another. How many of us wake up and the alarm goes off, and the first thing we ask ourselves is, what is the point? Right? I've been there like, Boom, hit the snooze. What is the point in this? Boom, hit the snooze. What's the point in this? Boom, what's the... Right? And you just keep hitting the snooze button because we're like, what's the point? Why do I have to keep going to this job? Why do I have to keep doing this? Yes, I know I've got to pay bills. Yes, I know I'm supposed to put food on the table. Yes, but what's the, what's the deeper purpose? And we've talked about that for the last five weeks and how we, and how we bring God's character onto our jobs. But while the temple provided the laws of God and the government... The gates of the wall, now get this, the laws were made in the temple. The laws, the national laws were made in the temple. But the wall had gates. The wall had 12 gates. And at each gate was a judicial, judici, easy for me to say, right? Judicial system where the judges would sit and they would interpret the law that was made in the temple. Now think about that for a minute. The law was made here but it was interpreted there. There was a blending together of the religious and the secular. They blended together. They worked together. So what we're going to talk about for the rest of today, of the next few minutes, basically three simple ways. How do we integrate our faith into our jobs that are not more than likely faith-based, right? So if you're a CEO, if you're a mechanic, if you're a lawyer, if you're a custodian, whatever you are, how do we integrate? And I'm going to give you three points today on how to integrate that. And when you go to the job tomorrow, work on integrating these things into your life and into your job. The first one is this. 
communicate with God about work. It's not like God goes, oh my gosh, they're working. What are they doing? Right? As we learned a few weeks ago, work was his idea. There will be work to do in heaven. We get jobs in heaven. We just don't float around and, with wings and harps and sit around and eat with her. There are actually, there's an economy in heaven. We work in heaven. You get a job in heaven. Now, one of the things that we've talked about in the last few weeks is that sin has entered our world and made our work seem like drudgery and tough and hard and sin and corruption and stuff. We work with bosses maybe who are corrupt or coworkers who are corrupt and take credit for our stuff. And that's all, that's all the sin nature, the evil desire. But in heaven and our jobs where the sin doesn't exist, your job looks very different. That stuff is gone. And your gifts and your talents and who you are go with you to heaven. And they're applied there. And so that's also a part of heaven. But we are to communicate with God about our work. In Ezra chapter 9, in Ezra chapter 9, as he's rebuilding the temple, and in Nehemiah chapter 1, both of them pray about the work they're doing. They pray about their work. God, show me who I should be talking to about this. Show, show me how to, how should I run this report? God, I'm, I really don't like the news I'm going to have to deliver to my customer. I'm not up for this. Lord, would you help me? What, what should I say to my customer? What should I say to my client? How do I convey this? And you pray about it. And you ask God, God, how do I handle this? What's the right approach? What's the right way to go about this? So we find in Ezra chapter 9 and in Nehemiah chapter 1, both, while they're simultaneously one, one working on the inside, one working on the outside, they both pray and ask God to help them. What do I say? Right? The Bible says to cast all your cares on me because I care for you. Cast them. Get rid of them. God, I need your help in this. And by that way, you're introducing your faith. Now, I don't mean like sit, sit down or kneel in your cubicle and cross, fold your hands and right, like people like will really look at you like, what are they doing? But what I do mean is pause for a moment. Okay, God, I need your help. And you can think it because God said, you know, he can hear our thoughts. And so just think it if you can't pray out loud. If it's really serious and you really need prayer, maybe you just need to take an extended bathroom break. I don't know right? It doesn't matter. God can hear you and pray and ask God. In James chapter 1 verse 5, it's one of my favorite verses. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. If any of you lack wisdom, the Greek word there in the original text is, is the Greek word Sophia. Sophia is the Greek word for wisdom. And what it means is this. It means the ability to gain skill in management, to gain skill in stewardship and management of your affairs. It means to have skill and discretion on how to impart and, and explain truth. It means to increase in understanding in science or increase in education. It means to grow, to grow in your understanding of science, grow in your understanding, grow in education. How do I impart truth? It also, can mean, it also can mean, depending on how it's used, the ability to interpret dreams 
and so on. And so it's a very broad, Sophia is a very broad word. And so James, the stepbrother of Jesus says, listen, whatever you're asking for, pray. Ask God for the wisdom. The word wisdom is very broad. God, I just, I had this dream last night and it's just, it's just, I can't get rid of it and I don't know what it means. Can you help me interpret this thing? Right? And you begin, to, you start there or maybe, maybe you've got a situation on the job. God, I don't know how to handle my boss. My boss is condescending and he's always talking down to me and I don't know how to respond. I've got this person at school and they're just constantly bugging me all the time and, and God, I don't know what to do with this person you pray about it. You ask God for wisdom. God, help guide me, lead me. Show me what I'm supposed to do. John chapter 9, verse 31. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. If you're in God's will, you have that relationship with Jesus, and the Holy Spirit talks to you, and you talk to him, and you read scripture, and you're like, oh, okay, that's what, that's what I should be doing, right? There's a reason the book's been around for 2,000 years, and it's the best-selling book in human history and you open it and you begin to get wisdom You're like oh that makes sense I see how they handled that I should do the same thing and you begin to apply that it says that he listens to a godly person God listens to you God listen he's not up there like doopy doop whatever I created them they're on their own now he's like listening he wants to hear you and first John five fourteen. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. Confidence. Anybody ever been confident? Yes. Okay, I got one person, two. Why are it all the kids that are raising their hands? Is it, I don't know what the adults are thinking, right? You're probably being like sarcastic, thinking, well, they haven't been through life yet. No, be confident. I, one of the things that I try to do as a dad is I try to spend some one-on-one time with each of my sons. And so yesterday was my youngest son. My oldest son and I went to Chicago to the aquarium a few weeks ago. And, and yesterday was my youngest son. And I said, you know, he's never been to a Notre Dame game. And I said, let's go to a game. I said, I can get tickets for Navy, USC. You know, what game do you want to go? I can, you know, Boston, I can get a big rival game. What do you want, what do you want to go to? And you know what his response was? I want to go to a game where I know they will win. So you want Notre Dame versus Bowling Green? And if any of you watched the game, like Notre Dame won yesterday 54 to nothing. He's like, yeah, I want to go to a game where I know they'll win. I'm like, okay. So you go to a game wanting somebody to get blown out. Yeah, like he wanted, he was confident of what he wanted. And he asked dad for it. And dad said, you know what, I think I can make that happen. It's going to cost me a little bit, but I can make that happen. Right? And so we went yesterday and we enjoyed ourselves and we had a good time. And on the way home, right before he fell asleep on the way home, I said, so how was it? He goes, that was fun. I said, yeah, it was fun, wasn't it? And then he fell asleep. And so the Bible says that this is the confidence that we have in approaching God. Just as my youngest son was confident in approaching me, like, Dad, I'm going to go to the game where I know they're going to win. Like, he was confident of that. We can go to God with the same confidence. Say, God, I know you're a winner. You beat death. You created the entire universe. 
you speak to people, you move in people's lives. I want to see, I need you to see you move in this situation. And that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He's going to hear you. Just be confident of that. Now, when I talked to Isaiah in the summer about going to a game in the fall, he had to wait. So sometimes it's not always our timing. Like, in the summer, he was ready to go now. I'm like, well, you got to wait a few months, buddy. You know? So when you ask God, stand confident, knowing that God's going to provide the answer. But we have a little bit of a situation. So I need, I need somebody, I need a volunteer. Can I get a volunteer? Come on up, buddy. Come on up here. Now, I'm going to ask you to, you've got to make this, okay? So I want you to look at it. Take a look at it. I got scissors. And I got paper. Okay? Got to figure it out? Yeah. If you do this, you're going to make me look really bad in front of all these people. What I need you to do is I need you to make that. Cut this paper and then make that. Okay? Come up, how about you come up right here? Okay, that's good. That, yeah, don't go any further. All right? So go ahead, cut that. Because what we do is we get presented a situation, we get presented a problem, and we don't know what to do with it. We do what we think we should do, but we don't really know what to do. And so we start doing stuff that we think we should do. But we're not really exactly totally sure. And so we do, again, what we think we should do. How's it, how's it coming? Complicated. I bet you there's a lot of adults out there that think the same thing about life right now. <laughs> Complicated. Keep going. Got it? Tell you what. Tell you what I'm going to do. You can pick anybody out there to help you. Who wants to help? Anybody? Anybody? Or do whatever you think. Okay. All right. Come on up, buddy. Now, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take that paper, okay? Because did that work? No. It didn't work good. All right. All right. Go grab that other sheet of paper. You two work together and try to figure it out. Oh, let me see it. Got it? I wish you could hear. Can you guys hear the conversation? You can't? All right. Hold on a minute. Is this on? Okay, what are we doing? You need to cut this and cut that and then connect and okay. make it look like it's done. What do you think? Uh, I think you need to cut over here, fold it. And then cut a strip right there. Okay. All right. Go for it. See what you do. See what you got. We need like Jeopardy music. Who can who can 
Home. Everybody home Jeopardy? Anybody? There we go. That's the support. That's your cheerleader. That's your cheering squad. Yeah, I think you're going to have to keep going. They're still working. This is confusing, isn't it? So any of you adults, whether you're working on this, any of you adults ever feel like life is confusing? You ever feel like you can't figure it out? Yeah, my wife just raised her hand. That's probably because she's married to me. Um, Yeah, I mean, life's confusing. And no matter how many times you look at stuff and no matter how many times you examine it, it's like, I can't get this right. I can't do, I can't get this together. All right. You guys think you got it? No. No? Let's see what you got. I'm not sure. Nope. Close, but not quite. All right, come here. Let me see the scissors. You ready? Watch this. Come here. Here's what we're going to do. Okay? Like, you could have asked me, but you didn't ask me. Yeah. You can ask anybody for help. Right? Cut it just a little bit further here. See? So I cut like a goalpost, like football, and just twist it, and voila. Does that make sense? Yeah, was that? Give them a round of applause. Good job, guys. Because none of you volunteered to come up here in front of people. Or here's what happens. Life gives us something that's confusing, that's troubling, and we can ask anybody, and what's the first thing we do? We go to our friends, we go to the internet, right? We go to maybe a coworker. We go everywhere but the source. The one person that knew how to do this, they could have asked them, they didn't. We can go to God at any point in time but we don't. Our first step is Google or our friend or whatever. And they will stay here and look at our problem and just go, yeah, you got a problem. I, I, can't, I don't know what to tell you to do. That's tough. That's not an answer. We need answers. And so we can go to God. We can look to God. He says, ask in confidence. So when we pray on the job, prayer invites the Holy Spirit into your workplace at an even greater capacity. Even a greater capacity. And so you can pray. The second thing that we can do is that we can focus on serving others. As Christians in the workplace, we focus on serving others. We can pray on the job. We can serve others. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. He says that we should be serving one another. Are you serving your coworkers? Going the extra mile for your coworkers, even when maybe they don't deserve it. Going the extra mile for your neighbor, even when they don't deserve it. Loving people that are 
unlovable in Romans chapter 7, verse 6. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And we talked a little bit about this a few weeks ago in that we are all naturally slaves to ourselves, right? We're slaves to our pride, our lust. We're uh, slaves to our own desires and the way we think it should be. And so when Jesus comes into our lives, he frees us. And so when Paul writes to the church in Rome, he tells them, he says, he says that you, you were once a slave. You were once a slave to what bound you, but you've been released from that. You're free to stop living for yourself. You don't have to live for yourself anymore because of what Jesus did. He goes, you don't have to do that anymore, so go and serve one another. And I, was, I want to share a testimony with you, a story of, of somebody here in the church, and names have been changed to protect the innocent and, and so on. But it's a tremendous story of someone who was battling severe depression, got into a community group, and began to grow in that community group. And I just, I, actually, this just came across this week in a text And I just want to read what this person wrote. I'll be the first to admit that I wasn't thrilled when my my wife signed up and expected me to attend a group after I said I was taking a break from groups. I'm not going to group. I'm done with group. I don't have time for it. Whatever excuse, right? Like we all have excuses. And so he goes on. He says, then she expected me to attend two of them. Like, I'm not going to a single group, and then my wife signs me up for two. (sighs) Like, don't you love your wife? Nobody said yes. Okay, thank you. Like, right? Yes. And so, but but I've had a good time getting to know everyone more than I expected. Plus, getting to know two couples I didn't know at all. Maybe this is what I needed to draw me out of this depression and funk I've been in. That is a story of people coming together in a community group one time a week, gathering around food, hanging out, sharing life together, sharing their faith together. One person's in a complete funk and and, and absolutely depressed and doesn't want to go, and I don't see the point in going, and it's worthless, and then my wife signs me up for two. And now it's like I'm coming out of my depression, I'm coming out of my funk, I'm growing, and I've met people that I've never met before, we've become friends, I've grown my network of friends and people I can rely on. That's what Jesus wants to do in our life, we have to take the first step and do it. We should be applauding this testimony and story because that's you and you allowing God to work through you. Amen? Amen. 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 So when we serve others, we never know what's going to happen to them. When we serve others, we never know the positive that's going to come out of it. But God does. And God knows how he's going to use your willingness to serve to help somebody else. You see, by not joining a community group or not getting involved in other areas of the church, other people people may not get set free from their problems. Because God wants to use you to help other people. And if you're like, well, I don't have time to help somebody else get free, then I have to ask ask us, what what are we doing with our faith? And so when you're on the job, are you encouraging other people? Are you supporting other people? 
right? We focus on serving others at our job. Notice I didn't say Bible thump. I didn't say push scripture down their throat. I said, serve them. Serve them. And you may never mention Jesus, but you love them anyway. And actually, that's number three. You love them. You love them. You care for them. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 18. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. And every ten days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Nehemiah, chief, chief of the project of rebuilding the wall, said, every day I had the choicest steak and the choicest lamb, and I had wines of all kind, but I never took it. Yes, I was in charge of this project. Yes, I was a big shot in the government, but I never took what was rightfully mine. Why? Because the people were being oppressed. And I knew that I could not sit in my palace and in my nice place and eat this while everybody else was being suppressed. And so he refused it. He loved the people that were working for him. So Nehemiah, in a sense, takes one for the team. So my question to you, if you, if you uh, are an employee, do you go out of your way to help other coworkers, people that need help? Do you go out of your way to help them? Maybe they need help with something at their house and it's not even related to their job. Do you go over and help them? Do you love them? Do you care for them? As a boss, you should be compensating your employees generously. At the very least, you should be compensating them fairly for their job. Right? Fairly. Are you generous? As a boss, as an employee, are you going out of your way to help your coworkers? And this is what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah says, I'm not going to have all of this stuff. I mean, he's like, they prepared it, but I said, no, send it out. And if you read the book of Nehemiah, you find that he sends his food out. He's like, I don't need this. Give it to the people that are working, working their tail off while I oversee and try to manage everything. So what we have in, in wrapping up, Ezra reads the law on the Sabbath, on, on their Sabbath, which is Saturday. Ezra, who's rebuilding the temple, stands up and begins to read the law. And the people realize, wait a minute, we're out of touch with God. We're out of touch with what God wants. We're out of touch with what God asks for. This is where we've got the problems. And this is what Nehemiah said. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and to drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Then Nehemiah told them, Go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, And send out portions to those who have nothing prepared. Since today is holy to our Lord, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah says, listen, go enjoy. What's he doing? He's putting other people before him. He's loving on the people that he employed to build the wall. He's loving on them and giving them the best and saying, you know what? I can have this anytime I want. You need to be blessed. You need to rejoice today. You know, one of the things that we talked about was that, that Sabbath, right? Taking that day off of work and just relaxing and recharging your batteries is important. And so Nehemiah says, listen, today's your Sabbath. Today's your day of rest. 
to come together to worship God and then go out and do something that refills your emotional tank. He goes, and so because of that, I want you to have the choice meats, and I want you to have the best wine, and I want you to have the best of everything, because I can get this anytime I want. I love you. Take this. It's yours. Today, celebrate. He's telling his people to celebrate. He's loving them. He's caring for them. And so he made sure that his people ate well because he loved them. Do other people around you know that you love them? If they look at you at a coworker, if they look at you as a coworker and were asked, "Do they love you?" Could they say, "Yes, my coworker loves me. My coworker puts me ahead of themselves." Could they say that? And so when we talk about integrating our faith in our jobs or faith in our school, faith in whatever it is that we do outside of church, just like Ezra and Nehemiah worked together and built the temple and built the wall at the same time and worked together, we are not to separate our faith and our beliefs from our jobs, that we are who we are no matter where we go. And so we can integrate those things multiple ways. But today, what did we talk about? We talked about three things. We can integrate our faith and our job by praying for our coworkers, praying for our job. We can integrate our faith by serving one another and serving our coworkers, even when it doesn't make sense to them, and even maybe you don't want to, but you go the extra mile anyway. And the third thing is love, loving them. And honestly, serving is an act of love, that you love your coworkers. So let's stand up this morning. We're going to stand up. I'd like everybody just to bow your head and to close your eyes. And as you do that, I'm going to ask you a few questions. And I'm just going to ask you to examine. Examine your own. Think about, I know it's Sunday, you're not at work, and you're like, man, don't make me think about work. But I want you to think about your job. I want, to think about, I want you to think about the people you work with. Okay? And I, as I ask you these three questions, I'm going to ask, and I'm going to pause, and I'm going to give you some time to reflect. First question. How is God present on your job? How is God present on your job? When you think about, maybe you're in school, and you think about your classroom, and the people around in your class, or you think about your job, how is God present? Do you see God's activity? Next question. If you follow Jesus and you're a Christ follower, then I want to ask you this. Where is God working in your coworkers' lives or in your classmates' lives? As you go to class, can you see where God's working in other people's lives and celebrate that? Can you see where God's working in other coworkers' lives and celebrate that? Two more questions. Next one's this. How can I serve my coworkers, my boss, and those under me? How can I serve my coworkers, my boss, and those under me? How can you serve them? Just ask God, how can I better serve? And then the last question is this. How is this work 
bringing God's creation back to him. We talked about that a few weeks ago. How is the work that I do bringing God's creation back into alignment? Can you answer that? All right, we're going to close out with a song just briefly. And I'm going to ask I'm going to ask that Aaron and Lori come down on this side and I'm going to ask uh Lynn and Steve Jett to come down on this side. If you're here this morning and maybe you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like I've, I've never totally surrendered my life to Jesus and said God take control of my life. I want you to control it. I'm tired of trying to control it myself. I'm trying to do what I think is best and I want to do what you think is best. If that's you this morning I want to invite you to to come down. They're going to pray with you. The Bible says that when you do that and ask for forgiveness of your sins and the things that you've done that are against God, that he comes into your heart, he comes into your life, and from that moment on, you're a Christ follower. And from that moment on, you're on your way to heaven. And he begins to work with you and work with your life to make you more like Jesus. So if that's you this morning and you want prayer, or if you need prayer for anything else, they are up here to pray with you as we close in song.